I on? Okay. All right. Good morning. If you're just joining us online, welcome. And I'm looking forward to be here with you today and give you God's Word. And the title of the message today is, Where is God? And we're going to be going through Exodus 2. And perhaps uh, some of these scenarios may be uh, familiar to some of us. Uh, you are a manager in your company, and um, you have people under you. One of those people is uh, another Christian brother. Uh, you get to know him, spend time with him, pray together, even hold one another accountable. And then one day your boss calls you in and says, you know what, our company is going through hard times. Uh, to stay financially solvent, we have to let some people go. And you keep your job, but you're asked to let your Christian friend go. Or you have a great relationship with your non-believing friends in your cul-de-sac, and uh, your kids grow up together. Uh, you even have Christmas parties together. And the children of your non-believing friends... Um, are all doing great. And then one of your children has a really hard time keeping his job, and another one struggles with depression. Moses is set free, delivered from Pharaoh's edict, but then other children are killed. James, the apostle, is beheaded by Herod, and then just a few days later, Peter is set free by an angel. So what do all these things have in common? In life, we all go through good times and not so good times, whether we are believers or not. And that circumstance could be from situations totally out of our control, or it could be because of things that we have, may have done. And you and I have experienced those good things and not so good things in our lives. And in, during those times, you may have asked yourself, why? Why is he having such a hard time while I'm having it so easy? Why did I have to have such a hard upbringing? It doesn't seem fair. Where is God in all of this? Perhaps your view of God is such that you think that your circumstances are based on your performance. You get up in the morning, have a wonderful day, everything that you expected to happen, happened, and then you look back, and you had a wonderful quiet time, and your mind just goes right straight, putting the two together. Oh, the reason that I had such a great day is because I had a great quiet time. Or perhaps you're not a believer. You're still searching, wanting to find out more about Christianity. You may just think it's karma, or may just, you may just think it's just chance. It is my prayer this morning that we will get a better image 
of the character of the one through God so that we will know that our lives and world history are in the palm of his hand. Let's pray. Father, give us a true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Come down, we pray, and feed us, your people, who are gathered and who hunger and thirst for you and your word. Amen. Amen. Life is not a series of random events. Our circumstances don't happen just because we had bad, bad karma or just because we happen to belong to the oppressed group of society or we just didn't pray this morning when we walked out the door. And the good things in life don't just happen just because we just happen to have worked hard enough or just because we just got lucky. There is a God who is orchestrating every single detail in history to bring about his big story. And our lives play a significant role in that big story, whether we're going through very rough times or very hard times. In Exodus, God begins to fulfill his promise that he has given to Abraham. Uh, wrong one. Here we go. Come on. It's not working. There you go. Thank you. Genesis 17, we read, When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And we saw that promise being fulfilled as we read last week in Exodus uh, 1, 7. That says, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was fulfilled, was filled with them. Then in Genesis 15, 13, we see God talking to Abraham and telling him ahead of time in developing his big story that Israel was going to spend 400 years as slaves, but then that he was going to set them free. And we read here in Genesis 15, 13 and 14, then the Lord said to Abraham, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. 
So Exodus 2 begins to tell us the story of how God is going to be fulfilling all the promises that he gave to Abraham. And in Exodus 2, we're going to be talking today, he's beginning to develop and telling us you know, that whatever season or life we're in, whether a good one or a bad one, either for reasons totally out of our control or for reasons or circumstances that we have done, things that we have done in our lives, you know, that God is always near and he's at work in our lives. And this fact should give us joy, hope, and the peace that surpasses all understanding, knowing that he is with us as we journey through life in this broken world. So our first point today is that we encounter, in Exodus 2, 1 to 10, we encounter the circumstances outside of our control. In Exodus 2, del 1 al 10, vamos a encontrar las circunstancias donde Dios, donde nosotros no tenemos ningún control. So we read, Exodus 2, verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hit him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and dubbed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew's children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get and call you a nurse? from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go to the girl, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses. She said, I drew him out of the water. So here we have a narrative of Moses' birth. So, so let's just think through all the things, well, not all, <laughs> but a lot of the things that happened that were totally out of Moses' control. Number one, that he was born at that time. <laughs> okay. Number two, Pharaoh's edict. Moment number three, that he had a mother and a daughter that were so tenacious and bold. The building of the basket, the construction of the basket, the place where 
he was placed in the Nile, the current of the Nile. In the Nile, I don't know if you're aware of, there are plenty of cockadrilles, hippopotamus, and water snakes. None of that affected him. Then that Pharaoh's daughter, one of them, chose at that time and that day to show up in that specific location to take a bath. And while she was taking a bath, she just happened to see the basket. And then that she happened to have pity. She was a Pharaoh's daughter. And she chose to go against her father's decree. And then that Moses' sister was bold enough to say, Hey, Pharaoh's daughter, can I go and get you a, a Hebrew woman to fit in? And, and who knows how many other things could have happened, okay? So all these things were totally out of Moses' control. Guess what? They were totally under God's control. He orchestrated every single detail so that Moses would survive and he would bring deliverance to his people. Listen to these scriptures. Matthew 10, 29-31 Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Therefore, you are more of value than many sparrows. And then in Psalm 47, verses 4, and then 8 to 9. He determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. He covers the heavens with clouds. He prepares the rain for the earth. He makes grass grow on the hills. He gives to the beast their food and to the young ravens that cry. And then Psalm 135, verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. God is God. He rules the entire universe, whether it is living or inanimate. He is in control of every detail. He's in control of the stars above and of the grass and the sparrows below. So let's ask ourselves, what circumstances are we going through right now that are totally outside of our control? And as you're thinking through that, what thoughts are you experiencing as you think of that circumstance? What emotions are stirred up in your heart? What decisions are you planning to make based on that? 
Are we seeing our lives as insignificant and isolated from all the events in world history or as part of God's big story? How are you experiencing God at this time in the midst of this circumstance? Is he present? Is he in control? Is he distant? God, the Almighty, is not only in control of the stars, the grass, the number of your heads, even some of us may have more than others. But he is in control of your life and my life. He was in control of all the circumstances of Moses' birth so that he would be the redeemer of his people. And guess what? That same God is the one who loved you so much that he hung on the cross to take your sins and my sins on himself. And that is the same God who controls every circumstance in your life for your good and for his glory. And our second point, Exodus from Exodus 2:11 to 22, we encounter the circumstances caused by our own actions. So en Exodus 2, del 11 al 22, vemos y encontramos las circunstancias que están basadas en nuestras propias acciones. Oh, oh, there we go. One day, when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? And he answered, Who made you prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the line of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away, but Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. When they came home to their father, Rule, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to the daughters, Then where is it? Why have you left the man? Call him that he may eat some bread. And Moses was content to dwell with a man 
And he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah. She gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershon, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. So I don't think you'll be too far-fetched to imagine that Moses' parents uh, were talking to him about God's covenant with Abraham. And as we all know, every single mother knows that his child is the best thing in the world, okay? So when Moses' mother had, you know, Moses in his hand, I can picture him talking to him and whispering in his ear, you are going to be the deliverer of our people from the hands of the Egyptians. So when Moses grows up, and he thinks that his time has come, he goes and acts according to God's given temperament and convictions. And what happens is not what he was hoping for. (laughs) So he goes from being Pharaoh's grandson, living in the courts, to being a fugitive in exile in Midian, in the desert, tending stinky sheep. So he must have asked himself plenty of times, what happened? (laughs) What did I do wrong? Until one day, he finally gave up asking because all that he heard was silence. So as any of us would, he gave up all his dreams. He's settling his new role and becomes content with hearing the bleeding of sheep for the rest of his life. So how about us? What dreams did we have that we had to let go? What things have we done that have changed the course of our lives? And we are either very proud of, or we may feel shame, regret, guilt. How has our view of God changed based on those circumstances? Some of you may know um, that I was an assistant pastor in a non-charismatic, uh, in a non-denominational charismatic church when I was in my early 30s. Uh, when I was fired, I thought that I had done something wrong to get God mad at me. And I was very ticked off at God. I had given my life to follow him. And here I am with all my dreams crashing and burning. I was just pointing my finger at him. And it took a long time and a lot of renewing my mind with good theology to get to the point where I believe that God loves me no matter what I do. And that my circumstances do not indicate whether God loves me 
or accept me. God's love and acceptance for you and me is based only in the blood of Jesus. That we are his children. It is not based on our performance. Moses was not being punished in Midian in that desert taking care of stinky sheep because he went on his own to deliver Israel. This passage is not a lesson on what happens to you and me when we act on our own. It is not. Listen to what Genesis 16 says. 15, 16. God is speaking to Abraham. And they, Abraham's descendants, that is Israel, shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Israel was in a slavery 400 years because the iniquity, the sin of the Amorites was not yet fulfilled. He was waiting until their iniquity got to a point that it was time to bring judgment upon them. And while God was being patient with the Amorites, he was training and working everything out for Moses' good and for his glory. So, in point number three, in Exodus 2, 23 to 25, we get the answer to our question, where is God in all of this? In Exodus 22, 2, 23 al 25, obtenemos nuestra respuesta a la pregunta, ¿dónde está Dios en medio de todo esto? At this point in our story, we are, our main human character, Moses, is living in exile, content, in peace, raising a family like any other man in those times would be doing. And we need to remember that at that time in history, God has not manifested himself to many people. Moses and Israel only knew about God from his covenant with Abraham. Israel and Moses were not like you and I, that we have our Bible and we know what to expect from God. They didn't. The only thing that they knew was God's covenant with Abraham. So when, while Moses was content in Midian at peace, Israel was getting worse and worse, and their suffering was getting worse and worse. And all that they could do was to groan and cry out to Abraham's God in hope that this promise will be fulfilled in their time. And I don't think it will be too <laughs> unlikely to think of the Israelite men coming back from a day of bitter and hard labor and start to think, is this promise to Abraham for real? 
After all, it was 400 years. The Declaration of Independence was only 247 years ago. It's a long time. So don't you think that would be understandable, even expected, that when they were around the table, that one of them, once in a while, will verbalize what everybody else is thinking? Where is God? How about us? How many times when we have gone through hard times or those that we love are going through hard times or even after just watching the evening news ask ourselves where is God? And we can end up thinking just like the atheist Richard Dawkins says, Rebecca McLaughlin quotes him, and she says, Richard Dawkins looks at all of this combined with impersonal forces that have forged our bodies through suffering, violence, and death, and declares that our universe, quote, has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference, end quote. Or we could say, like I've heard plenty of times, ah, he just at the right place at the right time. Or, eh, he just living right. Or he just having good karma. Let's take a situation that perhaps is more close to us. How many of us know who Tom Brady is? Okay. Many people think that, you know, he is the greatest of all time, you know, the GOAT. Well, he was the 199th pick in the sixth round in the 200th, in the 2000 NFL draft, okay? He was the backup quarterback to Drew Bledsoe, that he happens to have been the number one pick by the New England Patriots in the 1993 draft. So in 2001, you know, the New England Patriots signed up a contract with Drew Bledsoe for $103 million dollars Back in those days, that was big money. Still big money for me. But in the, in the course of things, you know, it doesn't compare to today's money. But it was big money back then. In, in other words, the New England Patriots were settled in the Blatzo. That was it. So in one game against the Jets that year, Drew Bledsoe got hit. They thought he had a concussion. They took him out. You know, they brought in, you know, Tom Brady. He won the game. The rest is history, okay? So we can say it was meant to be. Or Brady, he just was living right. Or he just got lucky. Or it was just chance in a random, purposeless, indifferent universe.
But what many of us may not know is that the injury that Duro Plesso had was not a concussion. He got hit so hard that one of his veins got sheared and he was having internal bleeding into his thorax. About a pint of blood an hour. It was a near fatal injury. So we're going to also go on and tell Drew Bledsoe, hey, it was just meant to be. Or you are just not lucky enough in this purposeless, indifferent universe. And if we choose to believe that, that any of those things is the right answer, how do you know that that is the right answer? How do you come to that conclusion? What if you are wrong? What if you are right? Is there another answer to this day-to-day experience and good breaks and bad breaks? Is there an answer to Israel's question, to our, our question, where is God in all of this? I believe there is. And that Exodus 2, 23 to 25, gives it to us. Ah, going the wrong direction here. Where is Exodus? There you go. Thank you. During those many days, the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So where is God? The triune personal God is with us through it all. He knows us. He sees us. He hears us. And God is so kind that he uses languages that we can understand. He condescends to our inability to grasp and understand a God that is eternal, (laughs) infinite, all-powerful, all-knowing, holy, and transcendent. So he inspires Moses to write, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered this covenant. The all-knowing God does not forget And he's not dull of hearing. He is just waiting 
for the right time according to his big story to bring about his plan and to step in. One commentator puts it this way. In covenantal language, the term remember, sakar, should not be misunderstood to suggest that God was somehow unaware or unconcerned previously. The average Israelite likely knew at least something about the Abrahamic covenant, and it may be useful for the modern reader to realize that the term sakar, remember, is idiomatic for covenant application rather than reconciliation. In other words, to say God remembered his covenant is to say God decided to honor the terms of his covenant at this time. So what is this covenant that God remembered? Let's go back to Genesis 17. Verses 1 and then 7 to 8. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, verse 7, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings and the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. So that God remember that meant for the Israelites that that was the perfect time in God's big story for God to let the Israelites know that they were his people, that he was his God. And he was not <laughs> Because they were better than Israel and of any of the other nations. Because they were not. It's just because he chose to love them. And today, anyone who puts their faith not in their good works. But in what Jesus did and follows him. Becomes and enters into this covenant. So what that means to you and to me is that now we are God's children. We are His. So how do we know that the answer to our question, where is God, is that he is with us through it all? Is because we are his children, his beloved. We are his. We are his beloved children. We are the apple of his eyes. He is not indifferent to our pain, he is not ignorant of our suffering. He knows our pain. He knows our doubts. He knows 
our brokenness. And he is with us every step of the way. And in the midst of our suffering, he is waiting for the right time in his big story to bring deliverance to us. And he will do it either while we are journeying on this earth or when we work with him for all eternity. We may not get an answer to our pain and suffering, just like we did get an answer for Israel's 400 years as slaves. But one thing we can be sure of, he is not indifferent to our pain and suffering. He is by our side. He sees us. He knows us. He hears us. And brothers and sisters, where is God in our mess? He's right next to us. Whether we feel it or not. The same God who orchestrated Moses' survival, Moses' time in Midian, is the same God who is orchestrating every detail of your life. He is the same God who orchestrated every event in Jesus' lives so that he would be nailed on that cross for you and I. And that is the same love that tells us, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I have you engraved on the palm of my hand. And may these truths enter our hearts so that we will experience joy, hope, and his peace that surpasses all understanding as we cast our cares upon him who cares for us, knows us, sees us. Let's pray. Lord, we set you before us this morning because you are at our right hand. We will not be shaken. Our hearts are glad and our whole being rejoices because you make known to us the path of life and in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Thank you and we praise you for your abiding presence in our lives. Amen.